You are listening to the Nanuet Golden Knights Principles Podcast with your host, Dr. Kevin McCahill. Welcome to the Principles Podcast here at GW Miller in Nanuet, New York, Rockland County. My name is Dr. Kevin McCahill. So proud to uh, be hosting our second podcast. Uh, today's podcast is particularly interesting. Um, I love the topic and the concepts of mindsets, a big Carol Dweck fan, um, as well as mindfulness. So Dr. Carol Dweck, as a professor uh, of psychology from Stanford University, has been researching mindsets and the achievement um, through mindsets for decades. She says to be more successful, it's not what you're born with um, that matters, it's your mental attitude and your mindset. Uh, She talks about fixed mindsets versus growth mindsets, And we will talk more about that later on today in the podcast. Um, There's also something called mindfulness that is um, becoming very popular in the education field. Mindfulness is a personal practice that can be described as paying attention to what is going on in the moment and without judgment. It can also be challenging at times in the sense that you have to consciously notice and so that old habits don't continually take over. You have to pay attention to your mind so that you can make better decisions. Very easy for me to say that. Very difficult in practice in education when working with children, adults, and the like. So I would like to welcome our two very special guests here today who both work in the field. Um, My first guest is Dr. Tracy Polizzi. Uh, Dr. Polizzi, welcome to our podcast. Uh, Dr. Tracy Polizzi is a licensed psychologist uh, who's been working here in Rockland County for the last six years. She runs a private practice. She works with children, adolescents, adults. Dr. Polizzi received her doctorate in clinical and school psychology from Hofstra University out in Long Island. Her dissertation research um, project focused on using mindfulness meditation and cognitive therapy therapy to reduce anger, which is so super important in education. Dr. Polizzi has presented to other professionals on mindfulness, ways to incorporate that in your work with children as well as adults, and now she's going to help us here today. Uh, She uses mindfulness techniques with her clients in her private practice, her counseling sessions in our classrooms, and definitely in her own life, which we will talk about that later as well. My second guest is Mrs. Allison Kurse. Welcome, Allison, to our Principal's Podcast. She is a licensed clinical social worker working here in the Hudson Valley again for the last decade. She's a graduate uh, of Fordham University. She received her master's in social work as well as her post-master's certificate in child and adolescent therapy, both from Fordham University. Before joining us here in Nanuet as our school district social worker, Mrs. Kirsch gained experience as a student's assistance counselor at Briarcliff Manor in Westchester, also worked at Andrus Children's Center, the Center for Preventative Psychiatry down in Yonkers, New York. And then here in Rockland County, she also worked at Head Start of Rockland and Haverstraw, as well as the Birchwood School in West Nyack, doing a number of different things that will add to our conversation today on mindfulness. Um, so welcome, Mrs. Kirsch and Dr. Polizzi, to our podcast. So thank you. Um, so we're going to get started. Our first question today is if you guys can please briefly explain to our audience the biology of mindfulness and the brain. Okay, so this is an area that's really increased in research over the past few years, and what they're finding is that, well, just to say something about the brain, um, there's something called neuroplasticity, which means that um, brain is like plastic, it means that it's moldable. And, you know, they find that from young ages, but also into adulthood as well. So what they're really finding is that mindfulness um, can help, the practice of mindfulness helps to 
strengthen certain neuron connections, and it helps to, and the neuron connections really um, affect the communication throughout our body. So when someone practices a mindfulness exercise, which we'll explain a little bit later, um, that connection strengthens and it uh, enables somebody to respond to a situation differently than they would have if they just reacted automatically to it. And just to say a little bit further, what I'm explaining to the children when I work with them is that there's certain parts of the brain that react in um, situations. So, for example, a part of the brain called the amygdala is part of the emotion um, center of our brain. And when something happens, it's, it's kind of like the security guard of our brain. So if something happens, say the example I give with the kids, if, if a fire alarm goes off, they're going to kind of get startled and jump. And then uh, it's like, okay, I have to do something. And the amygdala just wants to run and get out of there. But then what happens is they have to send a message to their prefrontal cortex. Um, that is the thinking and planning and organizing part of their brain to then say, wait, nope, I got to stand up and get up and walk to um, nicely to the door and walk outside. Um, so what, what mindfulness is doing is it's helping to control the response to the amygdala and get that message to the prefrontal cortex. Which regulating impulsivity in schools and, and you know, GW Miller's a K2 building where our young kids are constantly impulsive, but not to mention K12. That sounds like mindfulness supports working with kids to, to regulate impulsivity and, right. and being impulsive as a human being is something we're all working on, taking it slow, taking our time, and thinking mm -hmm. about our decisions before we let our body react right. to things. And the, and the prefrontal cortex is the decision-making part of the brain, and that actually, research is showing it's um, not fully developed until 25. Okay. So okay. it's really, really important you know, in the early years to really start you know, relaxing your body so that you Creating can make those, those patterns, healthy decisions, exactly. Right. As you're talking, I can't help but think about muscle memory as well. The muscle memory in the body, muscle memory within your mu your muscles um, for an athlete. The more you practice it, it, it almost happens instinctively without that's, having That's to the way I describe it. to the children. You're exercising your brain. Another way in school that we exercise our brain, and by practicing the calm breathing and practicing other mindfulness exercises, they're strengthening that connection. It's like if you think about a field, um, and like a grass field and there's a path that people walk down you can kind of see the path is worn that's, that's kind of like what that neuron is creating it's creating a simple path to this new response to the situation Okay, that makes sense and the younger students develop this pattern you know, the more likely they're able to use it when they're older so that's why it's so important to, to work on this with children right? so mm -hmm. Mrs. Kirsch if you're saying that um, the, the, the biology of mindfulness um, is, is still a prime palette for educators until the, the person is 25 years old. That gives us a strong amount of years to work with mm -hmm. children to help mold these habits, to, to utilize all different strategies within the education field. Makes you wonder how um, there aren't standards written around mindfulness and, and mindsets. There's so many standards um, that we're, we're being uh, asked to uphold for, for young children, but, but there's nothing really written about mindfulness and mindsets, and it seems to be a skill set that they would take with them right. to be successful in life. And that prefrontal cortex, they're using you know, that part of the brain to make decisions not only in school with educational and academics, but also outside of school, socially and in their future. So. Which is the whole point, right? Nobody lives in school forever. Right. The goal is to prepare them for outside right. of school. Right. Okay, thank you. Um, so in, your, in the field, okay, so both of you together combined 16 years in the local Hudson Valley area here. Have you noticed an increase in mindfulness 
in the private practice um, and in older grades? You know, you're both in public and private. Have you noticed an increase in this field? I know I read a lot about it, but have you seen a, a sort of a surge? I've actually seen a surge with high school students. They are becoming aware of it. So a lot of times when I'm in a session with a high school student, for instance, with someone who is really anxious and they're having a lot of somatic symptoms like stomach issues or headaches and it's causing them to miss a lot of school, you know, I'll frequently explain to them that the mind and the body really work together. Mm -hmm. So are you physically sick or are you anxious and it's coming out, you know, in a somatic way? So we talk about you know, different strategies to calm your mind down to really, you know, tease out what's really going on. And how are the responses to these things? Like, the, our, our high school kids, are they, do they know the mind? Are they more in tune than maybe they are, we were, perhaps? They are in tune, and when I tell them that there are mindfulness apps, they get really into it. They download the apps on their phone, and we'll talk a little bit about that later, um, what some good apps are for teenagers and adults. That is so cool. Yeah, that's great that they're being exposed to, you know, the connection between technology and this, this whole science mm-hmm. um, about the mind. Um, what about the private practice? Well, just to speak a little bit more broadly about the field, I have to say that it's gotten much more uh, popular or mainstream okay. within the past few years. You know, when I started my research in grad school, um, you know, I had some people very skeptical and, you know, um, maybe even didn't even take it seriously, but with all the research to support it now, but then also um, seeing the practical uses and um, just in use the positive outcomes that there has been an increase. Now, what I will say, though, um, you know, it depends on how much people know about it. So I use it. I've been using it for years in my practice, um, and... um, you know, it's interesting. So sometimes, like, I'll, especially with older kids or adults, I'll ask them if they've heard of it, and some have, but I'm always surprised about how many actually haven't. Okay. So I still think while while in our field there's been a big increase of it, I think there's a lot still to for the general public to be learning about it. Okay. I think there's, there's also a misperception of what mindfulness actually is. I think sometimes people don't realize that it's not, you know, just relaxing. It's also it's being aware. It's being present. It's being in the moment. And that's really, you know, what mindfulness is truly about. Okay. And being aware, being in the moment um, is, is so important um, for adults and for children, mm-hmm. without a doubt. But, yeah, being able to kind of, it's not, it's not as easily done as it is said, right? So you right. have to train and teach the mind to be able to do that. And that, that takes practice. Right. Um, so, you know, he, here at GW Miller, uh, we are a K-2 uh, school. Um, how are we embedding mindfulness lessons and practice into our curriculum? I mean, I know we have character ed here. We have a ton of support for our children. How are we um, sort of honoring the need for this field here at GW Miller? So we are implementing it now into our character education program. And, you know, for, as a lot of the parents know, we use Kelso's Choices. And a big part of that that, you know, um, we were kind of grappling with is here are these great choices for the kids to use. And, you know, we work on problem-solving skills, but still, all right, I know these choices I need to make, but how do I make that choice? You know, so they're still dealing with these emotions when something happens or these thoughts that are going on, and they and, and then how do I get myself to make that good choice? Um, and I just want to add also that a big piece of why this mindfulness is important to kids, it's not just calming them down. It's not just, you know, relaxing them to make a good choice. It's a strategy um, to be able to be resilient, to deal with adversities as they come up, to deal with negative feelings without needing to push it away or escape it. So we're giving them a tool um, 
practical strategies to be able to cope with the challenges that come up in their everyday lives. Right. So it's less of this guru-y sort of religious world and more of a behavior therapy slash a scientific approach that is backed by research that if certain practices are, are, um, are honored, you, we should see results like we would yeah. in any sort of it's research. Really, it's giving them a coping, a coping toolbox, really, so to speak. It's different ways that they can deal with different situations and problems that, that children are faced with. Okay. And I do know some people, there's still a stigma attached to it that it's related to re, you know, religion. And dating all the way back to 1979, um, John Kabat-Zinn um, is really kind of the person who took... Um, it from the Eastern culture and brought it into westernized um, um, practices and really took that religious aspect out of it and used the strategies of mindfulness mm -hmm. and he created the mindfulness-based stress reduction program okay. at um, University of Massachusetts Medical Center, I believe. Um, and really, it's about the strategies, it's about the concept of mindfulness and being, um, and he has that... Um, definition of paying attention on purpose in the present moment non-judgmentally and being able to use that to you know assist in in daily activities okay now I can say um, without a doubt as a, a wannabe practitioner of meditation I, I want to calm it down I should probably not drink as much black coffee but I want to calm things down in my own head I'm a parent um, do I need to to go to one of your sessions do I need to um, get some sort of degree to back this up. Can I can I practice mindfulness for my children? Are there exercises? Is there something I can do to make this less clinical and less scary for parents? I mean, anyone can really practice mindfulness, so to speak. It's really about being present. So as a parent, you want to be present with your child in the moment, and that's as easy as maybe putting your cell phone down in a way that, in a place that you're not, you know, going to want to check it or listen to that, you know, look at that text message or answer the phone. You want to look your child in the eye, um, let them know that they're validated, that you're there with them, and that's really all about being present with your child. Okay. You know, even though this is something that I introduce in the private practice or I introduce in the schools, um, you know, Again, it's a tool, it's a strategy, and it's something, something that certainly should be practiced at home and is easily, parents can practice at home. Now they can do that for themselves, and there's, you know, what I tend to do now is go toward apps. You know, I used to say, buy a CD, you know, and now I right, said, here's an right, app. Right. There's an app called Mindfulness One, which is where I suggest people starting for their adult practice. Okay. Um, but for children, there are... Um, for young children, there's this great app, Settle Your Glitter, where you're Settle Your Glitter, Settle Your Glitter, Settle Your Glitter, where you're okay. watching the glitter ball drop down and the little guys breathing in and out, and the child okay. follows it. Okay. Um, but there, you know, and there's also the Stop Breathe and Think app that is good for a little bit of the older child. Um, I actually had a high school student today tell me that they use that app. Yes, okay. it's good for Very adolescents cool. as well as the um, Sitting Still Mindfulness for teenagers. Right. So. Now, these are all apps, but also parents can do things um, throughout their day that can be mindful. So right now, we've been mostly focusing on meditative practices, mm -hmm. you know, taking time out to do like a formal breathing exercise or, or other strategy. But mindfulness can be done at any time throughout the day. Like oftentimes, I'll talk to adults about um, it's, it's really focusing on the present moment, and we do that with our senses. So washing dishes, you know, being, paying attention to the way the water, the scent, smell of the soap, the sound of the dishes, you okay. know. 
um, brushing your teeth. You know, you can brush your, you can have your children, you know, be aware of the smell, the taste, the uh, sensation of it. Okay. So those are okay. all what we call informal mindfulness okay. experiences. Okay. Another great one that I actually use with my own daughter, who's three and a half, is we, you know, go for a walk outside, or when you're in the car, you look at the different colors on the, you know, of the leaves on the trees, or now all the leaves are falling, and you just, it's just noticing your surroundings and noticing what's okay. around you, teaching your children to be present. And okay. even games like uh, I Spy, you know, a game that people are aware of, really that can be considered a mindfulness exercise. Okay, okay. Now, um, I opened up our podcast by speaking about both mindsets, um, which is, is, has been you know, pioneered by Dr. Carol Dweck, um, as well as mindfulness. So can we talk briefly about the difference between mindsets, although the words sound so much alike, mindsets and mindfulness? Are, are, is there a difference between the two? Well, I mean, the, the way I look at it is so mindsets are a belief, right? A belief's kind of that, like with a growth mindset, that, you know, it's not, we're not reaching a, a limit that, you know, that there is flexibility and learning can still happen. And, you know, so it's this belief system. And I see mindfulness more as a tool to help facilitate that, okay. you know, to foster that growth mindset to kind of, in the, you know, when I was talking about the biology that we, you know, the research does support that the brain can change with this practice. So I think, Within mindfulness, um, part of what's important is this openness, this curiosity. A big, actually, a word I haven't mentioned yet, a big part of it is acceptance, you know? Acceptance. So these are words that are associated with mindfulness, and those practices can help foster that, um, the, you know, that, that mindset, really, that right. growth mindset. If this, yeah, so really they do work hand in hand. If Because, you know, we believe in mindsets here at GW Miller. Our, our staff read uh, Mary Kay Ricci's book, Mindsets in the Classroom, last summer. We've, um, we've changed the way we speak to our children in the classroom. We use the word yet a lot, right? They talk about that three-letter word being the most powerful word in education. If you add yet to the end of any, any you know, comment made to a child, it could be transformative. Um, so if, if we actively change our wording and the way that we speak through the concept of um, mindsets, children are more open to receive that if they're mindful, if they're practicing mindfulness. Their, their brains literally through biology are more open to exactly. that growth. Right. There's actually something within the mindfulness field called beginner's mind, and children have that naturally. They have that openness. They have that curiosity. They are very moldable, right. you know? So we're catching them, especially in the K-2 through building, right. at, an, you know, at a great place to be introducing so this to cool. them. Yeah. Especially, you know, and going back to the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset, you know, we're so used to telling children, you're the best at that, you, you know, no one's as smart as you are, and that's, we think that that's improving their self-esteem, but really what we want to say to children is you work so hard on that, you know, I could tell that you're really concentrating, because that is what's going to really encourage them to, you know, have, um, right. put more effort into what they're doing. You're focusing so, on their exact skill exactly. rather than just sort of this nebulous grade, everyone's great. And to build that resiliency when they do face challenges, which they will. Right. So you bring up challenges, Dr. Polizzi, right? We're in education. Challenges come in the form of a million different things, but um, testing, right? We're in the testing world, um, public EDU, New York State. Um, our, our children are challenged by standardized test assessments. Are there, um, where do you see this, this sort of approach sort of dovetailing with our goals? I'm a building principal. I want to see really strong reading scores. So I want to see data. But I want to know, will this 
support that goal. So we've been like a lot of what we've been talking about is focused on the emotion regulation, the calming, the making good choices. But another thing that researchers found is that mindfulness can help increase attention, awareness of what's happening within the child as well as the surroundings, and um, increasing focus. So with regular practice, there should be you know parents, teachers should see increased attention and ability to switch attention, switch attention to different tasks, realize when their mind has wandered and bring it back to the task, which would certainly help with testing, um, in addition to using a mindfulness breathing exercise to calm before a test if there is test anxiety and better retrieve the information. That's neat. So that could be done prior to an assessment in the classroom. Yeah. That can be done by a parent at home if they're noticing right. that their child is trying to make a 10 Sometimes the, at, the math homework. Right. Sometimes yeah. at the older level, at the high school level, students will come in feeling anxious about a test. So sometimes right. we will practice that, you know, that right. deep breathing. And the, there is research to support specifically that it has helped to reduce test anxiety. Okay. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. Um, well, I, you know, we're going to actually um, talk a little bit about you know, for our audience, this is a huge topic. It's it's growing in, in, in our field. It's growing in our society. Um, it's becoming more mainstream, which is fantastic. There's an endless amount of resources that we could talk about. But just to sort of conclude, um, I want to end today, and it's perfect. We talked a little bit about um, testing um, in, in our field. Um, our closing quote for the Principles Podcast number two here at GW Miller is by Carol Dweck, Dr. Carol Dweck. Um, Test scores and measures of achievement tell you where a student is, but they don't tell you where a student could end up. So that's a fantastic quote. I think that that sort of summarizes everything that we've done. Um, This has been a fantastic podcast. I want to thank Ms. Allison Kirsch, our Nanuet School Social Worker, K-12, and also Dr. Tracy Polizzi, practitioner, also helps us out here at GW Miller one day a week. I wish I could have her more than one day, but thank you so much. We're going to, on this podcast, talk a little bit about actual exercises that you could do with your children at home. So stay tuned after our closing uh, song here. And we'll also put some links up to the apps that were mentioned during this podcast. So thank you all so much. Go Golden Knights. We're going to practice something called tuning in. So tuning in is paying attention or focusing in on what's happening around you and what's happening inside of you. So just take a moment to pay attention to what's around you. What room are you sitting in? Who's with you? And now just take a moment to pay attention to you, to your body. If you're sitting on a chair or if you're sitting on the floor what your feet feel like against the floor, what your bottom feels like on the chair or on the floor, what your hands feel like if they're resting on your lap. Just paying attention to what's happening in your body. And now if you can just close your eyes, we're gonna pay attention to breathing. Paying attention to the air coming in through your nose and out of your nose. Maybe noticing the air is a little bit cooler on the in-breath and a little bit warmer on the out-breath. Now as you're sitting and breathing, 
Put one hand on your belly. And when you breathe in this time, I want you to pretend that there's a balloon in your belly. And as you breathe in, the balloon goes up and out. And when you breathe out, the balloon goes back down, just as your belly goes back down. So breathing in, seeing the balloon in your mind going up. And breathing out, seeing the balloon going back down. Whenever you think about something else, just remember I'm focusing on my breathing and go back to your breathing. Maybe you notice your belly going up and your hand going up and your hand going back down on your belly with the out breath. Paying attention for one more in-breath and one more out-breath. And then when you're ready, opening your eyes and going back to what you were doing. This next exercise is called the grounding exercise. This is something that a lot of children like to do, um, especially if they don't want to sit and breathe. It's something where they can go through all their senses and it's something that you know takes up um, time in their mind and kind of distracts them if something's bothering them, but also helps them to tune in to the present moment. So basically the grounding exercise is taking time to go through your different senses. I usually start with sight. So for this, I would say, look around the room or wherever you are. You can do this in the car, you can do this at home, you can do it really anywhere. Name five things that you see that are red. It can be any color. You can pick your child's favorite color um, and you can do um, one color and then choose another color. So after you go through sight, five things that you see that are red or green, then you move on to the next sense. So if then you would say, choose five things that you want to feel. And they can be anything. You know, you could take something soft like a blanket and they can feel the texture and you want them to describe how does that feel. It's soft. Or they can feel um, a desk or a table. Oh, that's hard and smooth. Maybe, you know, if you're at home, you can take a ice. Wow, that's cold and wet. So you want them to describe. You don't want them to say whether they like it or they don't like it. It's just describing what they're feeling. And you can go through five. The number is arbitrary. You can do three. You can do five. For young kids, um, more than that tends to be a lot. Next, you would go through smells. Smell five different objects. And they can be nice things like lotion. It can be, you know, food if you have that. Or, uh, But it could be something like smell your T-shirt. Um, and then describe what you smell. What's that like? Next, you would listen. Now, listening can be hard. You know, um, you can make a noise. First, ask them what they hear, just not by making any noise. What are the things that you can hear? Sometimes it's the ticking of a clock. Uh, maybe they can hear cars outside um, or something else that's going on. 
if you're having trouble and it's pretty quiet, then you can start making a noise and, and, and help them out with that. And then taste is something that you can choose to do or not to do. You know, if you don't have anything available to taste, um, that's fine. You can skip that one. But if you wanted to try that, you can have them taste five different things and describe what they, what their experience is with that. And by the time you've gone through that, if a child is upset or they're worrying about something, usually they've calmed down because that, that, that's taken their mind away and they've really focused in on what they're doing in that present moment. Again, that's called the grounding exercise and you're just going through the senses and describing what the person is seeing, hearing, feeling, smelling, and then tasting if you want to do that. The next exercise is something that you can do with your children um, at any point in the day. I like to call it the daily check-in. So this is something that um, some people may choose to do it in the morning, um, but it can also be a good thing to do in the afternoon or the evening to kind of do a check-in, how was your day, um, to get the children to kind of tune in to you know, what they're thinking and what they're feeling. And it also gives you an understanding of what their day's been like and allows you to share with them as well. So what I would say is, I mean, you can do this when, when your child comes home from school or at dinner time, or if you don't have time during that time, you can do it um, maybe in the beginning of the bedtime routine. So these are all times that you can do that. Um, you know, knowing your child, what's the best time that they like to kind of sit and talk you know I know some kids when they get home from school they would just prefer to decompress a little bit and need some time to want to engage and talk a little bit more so all you're doing is taking some time to say let's do our daily check-in you know and you're asking them how are you feeling now how's your body feeling and you can ask them what emotion they're having and then what are you thinking about so that's just tuning into what's happening now. What, what am I feeling? How's my body feeling? Um, and what am I thinking about? And then you might want to take it a step further and say, you know, what was my day like? You know, and so you want to be specific, though. So you might say, and parents can model how to answer the questions. So you can say, you know, I'm I'm feeling happy, you know, but I noticed that you know, my body's feeling a little tense in my shoulders and I need to loosen them, you know, and then um, I'm thinking about what to make for dinner, you know, so you might give an example of that for your child to start. And then you might say something like something hard in my day was and you describe something that might have been hard in your day, something that was good in my day was and describe something that was enjoyable or good in your day. You're allowing you're giving examples for your child to see, wow, that was kind of hard, but I got through that. And, well, this was a good point in my day, and I enjoyed that. So you're getting them to kind of focus in on things and reflect about their day as well. So, one, this is a good time for you to connect with your child, but it's also a good time to kind of get them to kind of think and um, understand how things in their day may affect how they feel and think and what's happening for them now, and also give you a good understanding of that. So again, that's the daily check-in, and you can really use that at any point that you think might be good for your family.